Good afternoon, everyone. Um, if you have a Bible with you, please find uh, Matthew's Gospel in the New Testament. We're going to be looking at a, a section in, in Matthew chapter 14 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, you can look on the screen and, uh, and Naomi will ensure, quick as a flash, every reference comes up, or most of them. No pressure. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew 14 uh, today, actually looking at a situation in the life of Jesus and his disciples, which every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all say something about. So it clearly registered with all of them as something that was very important to record, and, uh, and, and Matthew uh, probably says the most about it. So we're going to look at him, Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. It says this. Immediately... Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. He said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and, he, and begged them to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. God has purpose for our lives. God in Jesus chooses and calls every disciple on purpose, for purpose, with purpose. I've chosen you, I've appointed you to go and bear much fruit. He would say to the disciples, come and be with me and I will send you out. Come and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart. So this Jesus deliberately chose his disciples. God deliberately works in our lives and calls us and invites us for purpose, not just to make up the numbers. It's not just a chosen few who have the purposes of God written over their life. Everyone in Christ, every believer called and chosen on purpose. And we're going to consider today, what does it mean to make progress in the purposes of God? What does it mean to move forward in the purposes 
of God for all of us. And what are we talking about, the purposes of God? It sounds like one of those motivational statements that you put up on a poster to inspire uh, confidence and so on. What are the purposes of God? Well, they're rich, they're varied. Often the purposes of God are very ordinary. And pursuing the purposes of God in our lives can look very mundane. Doing the same thing over and over again. I was considering um, just looking back in my own life and thinking about my mum. Uh, I got two parents who loved me very, very much. I was raised in a single parent household. And for my mum, I looked back and thought, actually, for probably more than a decade, the purposes of God were getting up, praying, making sandwiches for four children, going to work, getting back, helping us with homework, other stuff as well, going to bed. Maybe getting to a small group in a church and getting us there on a Sunday. The purpose of God, just doing the same thing over and over again, by faith. Now, that's not what she's doing now, in a different season of life, serving God in all sorts of different ways. Sometimes serving God and pursuing the purposes of God in our lives is mundane. It's every day. It's the same thing over and over. Sometimes it's miraculous. Not doing the same thing over and over, doing something completely new that we've never done before. God calls us into something that stretches us, maybe even frightens us, but excites us as well. The purposes of God are personal. So Paul could write a letter to his mate Timothy and say, Timothy, I'm giving you these instructions in keeping with the prophecies once made about you. In other words, he says, I know the purposes of God for you because I was there, I heard, I know the prophecies over your life. I'm giving you these instructions in keeping with them. So keep going, Timothy, in what God has called you to. Stay in Ephesus, help that church. That can be personal, things that are personal to you, personal to me. But the purpose is that sometimes that can lead us down kind of an unhelpful line if that's all we ever think about. Oh God, what's the big grand blueprint for my life? What are, the, what are your purposes for me, Lord? I don't think I know. Tell me that I'm special. And we get a bit churned up. Oh, the whole of the Bible is jam-packed with the purposes of God. All we have to do is read it and get hold of it by faith. You might be reading the Bible one day, you turn to uh, Romans chapter 12, and you see the purposes of God for every believer throughout history under the sun. When you, for example, Romans 12 verse 11, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. On it goes. It's just the purposes of God. It's not a mystery. It's made plain in his word for all of us. And what we see here is, yeah, the purposes of God are personal, corporate, for every believer under the sun. Also, still specific, there's this, in the situation that we're about to look at, the purposes of God are for 12 people. Get in a boat and start rowing. There's a specific destination I have in mind. So row, 
and go there. It's not just vaguely go somewhere the other side. He's got a particular place in mind for you 12 people. So what are the purposes of God for us as a community? God can be saying specific things for specific times to a specific group of people, not just an individual. Are are we making progress in the purposes of God? They can be focused on a very particular task. There are times in life when we don't have a choice. God just makes it plain. That's the way to serve me. Uh, Paul writes to uh, the Colossians and says to them in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17 to that particular church but to all of us as well. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. What are the purposes of God for us? What's the purposes of God for my life? To give thanks to my Father in heaven through Jesus. And that whatever I do, I'm doing it in the name of Jesus. I'm doing it as a representative of Jesus, as a disciple of Jesus to bring glory to him. And so what we see here in Matthew chapter 14 are the disciples and Jesus making progress in the purposes of God. Jesus says to his disciples, in the boat and row from A to B. The specific moment, season, time in their lives. But what it also does is provide us with a picture of the Christian life. There are some interesting aspects to it. How do we live our whole lives for God's glory? Well, Jesus has got them started on this adventure. And then where, did, where does Jesus go? He goes up a mountain. He's, out of, he's not far away, but he's out of sight. He's not with them in the flesh, but he knows exactly what's going on. Well, that's our situation, isn't it? Jesus has got us started on a spiritual adventure. We don't see him in the flesh. He's not with us in physical form, but he's not far away. And he knows exactly what's going on. And he's leading us to a particular, specific destination. Not just anywhere, but glory. And when you get to the other side, actually it's got kind of a heavenly quality to it. When it says everyone recognizes him, lots of people gather. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched him were healed. I mean, that's a a moment of heaven touching earth, isn't it? That's a foretaste of what's to come. Everybody gets healed. All the sick restored. No sickness, no disease, no pain. We might add, no sorrow, no sadness. Just, wow. Isn't it worth getting to the other side? Aren't you glad God called you on this adventure and that's where we're going? It's not kind of vaguely here or there. It's to glory. So it's giving us encouragement about getting to the other side. Maybe, that you're, maybe you're in the middle of a particular challenge or season of life and you're thinking, oh, I just can't wait to get to the other side. Well, I don't have to revise for these exams anymore. I'll make it. I'll get there. Maybe there's another kind of season in life where you're thinking, actually, right now there's a challenge in work. 
But when that changes, I'll get to the other side one day. Right now, I'm kind of in the middle of things. But I'm looking forward. There'll be a new phase. There'll be a new time. It's like, ah, one day, the kids will leave home. Then, glory. <laughs> or one day, I'll leave home. <laughs> Wonderful. That's when life will really get going. I don't know. I don't know what's going on for you. <laughs> but there can be that sense of just getting to, what does the other side represent for you right now? What might it represent for us as a community, as a church, as well as for all of us who call on the name of the Lord Jesus? Isn't that awesome to think that one day we'll be there? There'll be no challenge in that sense. We'll, we'll live by sight as well as faith. No more darkness will be with him. So what do we learn right here about how to make progress in the purposes of God? We can make progress. Sometimes it's slow and steady. Sometimes it's all of a sudden. But how do we make progress in the purposes of God? Ladies and gentlemen, I don't give you one point. I don't give you two or even three today. We're going for four. Whew. Okay. Four answers to that question. How do we make progress in the purposes of God? Firstly, go back and pray. Go back and pray. Let's consider Jesus and what Jesus does. Jesus says, as it were, the purposes of God lie that way. Disciples, go that way. Now, he'd called and chosen these disciples to be with him, so surely he intends to, to go with them or to be with them. He knows that's the way to go. We've had fruitful ministry here, but for the purposes of God, need moving forward, not just setting up camp here forever. We're going on to a new place, to a new people, into, a next, into the next phase, into a new season. So isn't it intriguing that having said to the disciples, go that way, where does Jesus go? Backwards. He has to compel them into the boat. Reluctantly to start with, they eventually set off. Jesus is by the water's edge, presumably, and then goes back up the mountain by himself. The purposes of God are that way. But Jesus is going this way. Why is he doing that? Well, we're told. He went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. And what Matthew seems to stress is, hang on a minute, we've got, a we got an issue here. How's this one going to work out? Jesus is by himself and he's gone back to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. How is Jesus going to get back to the disciples? Considerable distance is many stadia. We don't know what that is, so we need somebody to say it's a considerable distance. When John talks about this in his gospel, he says, Jesus gets back to the boat when they've been rowing for three or three and a half miles. That's the considerable distance. Three to three and a half miles. That's the distance between Jesus, when he's by the water's edge, and the disciples on the boat. At what point did Jesus know he would be walking on water that day? On what basis did he make the decision to go back and pray? 
We can think, well, he's the son of God, he's Jesus, he, he can do anything. It, it's easy for the leader to pray. It's, for, it's us who find it difficult. But Jesus is making a decision of faith. He hears his heavenly father say, son, time to pray. It's time to speak to me. In that situation, what we would, would do is, that's all well and good, Heavenly Father, but I am responsible for these people. I lead these people. They need me. I've got responsibilities now, Lord. I can't just abandon that to go and pray, as nice as that would be. Jesus faces that dilemma and by faith says, yes, Father, I'm coming back to the place of prayer. I'm going backwards. Prayer can seem like taking a backwards step. The purposes of God are that way. We should be taking action and, do it and going that way. Prayer seems counterproductive. Seems like we're going the wrong way. When we want to go forwards, it can seem then irresponsible to pray. We might be thinking, well, people need me. I should be there for them. If I go and pray right now, how on earth am I going to catch up? Because there's so much that has to happen. This big distance in front of us. A big to-do list grabs our attention. But consider it this way. I'm going to change direction this time. We're going that way. Purposes of God lie that way now. Okay. Um, I don't have a prop. I was going to search the toy cupboard. I didn't have time. Um, I'm not sure we've got one anyway, but if we did, I would have brought with me a bow and arrow. And I might have used this illustration before to mean something different, but it's such a good illustration, I'm going to use it again. Um, we got, we've got a bow, and we've got an arrow. And the purpose of this, what I want to happen to this arrow, imaginary though it may seem, is for it to hit the imaginary target that's just next to Naomi. I'm not aiming for Naomi. I'm not aiming for the laptop or anything like that, or the microphone. I'm, there's a target over there, and I want to hit the target reasonably well in the middle. So this arrow needs to fly straight and fast and true to hit the target. So what do I do with the arrow and the bow? I put the arrow into its slot, and then I pull the string backwards. The movement of the arrow to begin with is backwards. Even though the target lies that way, the arrow's coming this way. And when I've stretched it back, all I need to do, if I've aimed reasonably well, is let go. And what will happen to that arrow? Going to fly. If I don't pull it back, what's going to, my good intentions aren't going to help it at that point. How well I aim is not going to help my eyesight and ability to see the target clearly is not the issue. When I let go at that point, the arrow is just going to fall to the ground. It's got no energy to it. So it, praying might seem like going backwards, but that's what enables the arrow to fly true and hit, hit the target. I wonder at what point Jesus knew he would be walking on water that night. And I figure... It's when he got back to the water's edge, having prayed. Maybe sooner, but I don't think so. I think he made a decision by faith to go and pray, even when it seemed unreasonable. 
And sometimes it's easy for us, isn't it, to assume that prayer is easy for the people that we look up to. It's not. It's not for any of us. But Jesus chose to set aside time to pray, and that in itself was an act of faith. That in itself was stepping into the impossible. And we are a community of faith. We don't pray because it seems reasonable. We set aside time because we know God answers. And we need him. So how do we make progress in the purposes of God? We go back and pray. Secondly, how do we make progress in the purposes of God? As we keep obeying his word. It says there, doesn't it? Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. That's not some... uh, trivial or vague expression when it says get into the boat it means that Jesus compelled them in it actually means that the disciples were reluctant no Jesus we want to be with you or possibly no Jesus you have to be with us we don't want to go alone what do you mean this doesn't seem to make sense how are you going to get back to us Lord go on to the boat to the other side it's a it's a strong instruction and it's not just vague anywhere we'll do it's go there that's the destination that's where I want you to go that's where the purposes of God lie get into the boats they are compelled even if they are reluctant to start with credit where it's due they followed Jesus instructions with that specific destination in view and you can kind of wonder I wonder, when they first got onto the boat, they were full of vigor, lots of energy, how were they doing after a mile? What was the collective mood after two miles? Was anybody talking after three miles? Because this is, we get the impression, a hard slog. Jesus commands them to go and as soon as they get into the boat they realize we're we're battling against the headwind we are obeying Jesus and yet the whole time we're being resisted by this wind that wants to blow us back in the other direction the whole way was hard work hard graft and uh, perhaps then the danger is not that they died that this was such, uh, such a horrendous life-threatening storm that the waves are going to crash over the boat and they're going to sink and drown. That doesn't seem to be the challenge this time around, though they faced that kind of one before. On this occasion, the danger is not that they die. The danger is that they give up because they're having to fight and push and lean against the wind. Or if not, give up completely is to still stop obeying Jesus and decide themselves we will aim for a different destination we'll change tack Jesus got us started he was very very clear but clearly he didn't realize what opposition we would face on the way so we need to make a change we're going to choose a different place to to row to and sometimes when we face discouragement the danger is not that we die. The danger is that we stop. And go, if we go with the flow, 
we're not going to make progress in the purposes of God. We're just going to allow ourselves to be taken where the wind takes us. No, Jesus was clear. Go that way. Listen to my word. We're over there. Sometimes the, the temptation is then just to start to compromise a little bit. Well, I know Jesus said be holy, but I'm going to aim for holy-ish. It's just, it's just a few degrees over there um, or, or whatever. Or, or, the word of God says resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Well, I, I am going to resist the devil apart from on Saturdays. That's when I get to choose that I don't have to do that. You know, we, we make compromises, we make decisions about what feels realistic because it's hard work to follow Jesus. But the disciples kept following his instructions. Obeying Jesus can be hard work. I have a book. I bought a book once. <laughs> Sounds a bit worrying, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> a Christian book uh, by a guy called Eugene Peterson. And I love the title, but prepare yourselves. It doesn't make the Christian life sound particularly glamorous, but I think it's a fairly good description. It's this, a long obedience in the same direction. Wow, doesn't that just sell it? <laughs> a long obedience in the, in the same direction. You saved me, you chose me, you forgave me, you've adopted me into, my, into your family, and one day I'm going to be in glory over here, and it's going to be absolutely awesome, and right now I'm in the middle, leaning against the wind, doing the same thing over and over again, but trying to stay true to the course, because Jesus has commanded my obedience, and I'm following, I'm following him. Um, there are certain verses in the Bible that we would never have written ourselves and we don't really want anybody else to quote to us personally. I've been thinking about your situation recently. I've been praying for you. And you know what? The verse that came to mind was James chapter 1, verse 2. Let me just encourage you with this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Can I hear an Amen. Amen. Consider it pure joy. Isn't it wonderful, everybody? Isn't it glorious? We've got many trials. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. When Jesus left us on the boat, went up the mountainside to pray, and told us to keep at it. It's a long way, Lord. Three and a half miles, Jesus. And we're still in the middle. Obeying Jesus is hard work. Obeying Jesus can often be mundane. Paddling one stroke after another. Be holy, because I am holy. Honor your father and your mother, that it might go well with you. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Practice hospitality. Pray fervently. We're going. I'm coming with you, Lord. I want to obey you. I'm going to keep going. Doesn't always feel wonderful. Doesn't always feel exciting. Sometimes serving the purposes of God means making sandwiches for five people every day. And doing it again. And doing it again. And doing it again. I thought it would be more profound. God doesn't owe us a more exciting life. He calls us to obey. He calls us to faithfulness. And while, but whilst obeying Jesus might seem mundane, 
obeying Jesus is worthwhile. You just read a bit further on in James chapter 1. Now, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because that means there's a reason. Because he's developing perseverance in us. He's carrying on his good work in us. He's strengthening us to that point where we'll, we'll be complete. If there was never anything that resisted us, we would never grow stronger. So God's at work when we have to persevere. And then it just says a little bit later on in James chapter 1, verse uh, 12, blessed is the man, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. So when we've stood the test, we'll receive the crown of life for everyone who is called according to his purpose. I may have blended a couple of verses there. You can check that one later. I think I'm more or less on it. Blessed is the one. It's worth us obeying. It's worth us persevering. It's worth getting to the other side and not compromising or settling for some other harbor or giving up entirely. But is that it? Hooray! Obedience is hard work, but chin up, we'll get to heaven one day. Well, actually, that is part of it. Jesus, uh, Paul, rather, goes back to some of the churches that he's planted and been involved with and goes back to encourage them. And how does he encourage them in Acts chapter 14? He says, through many trials, through much suffering, we will enter the kingdom of God. And again, yes, all the people said hallelujah. So that was their encouragement that week. It's through many trials, it's through suffering, we're going to enter the kingdom of God. But let's look at this passage again in Matthew chapter 14. In their darkest moment, in the fourth watch of the night, which is basically between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning, right at the end, at the darkest point, the most tired moment for them, what happens? Jesus goes out to them. Verse 25, walking on the lake. It's interesting, the disciples' first response is absolute terror. They're having a shocking night, and then it gets worse, because they're absolutely terrified when they see Jesus walking to them. They don't realize it's him straight away. They think it's a ghost. They cry out in fear. When we're tired, cold, hungry, lonely, we don't react well either to the unexpected but this isn't just the unexpected, this is Jesus. But isn't that interesting? They, they mistake him for a nightmare. Jesus is like, I'm here, I'm coming for you. Ah! Away from me! In just a few weeks, I guess, uh, or even next week, Richard will keep taking us through Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll get to verses like, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. We can mistake hardship for a nightmare when actually it's God coming in. God working things out for our good. This is to strengthen the heart. This is to increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is to train you for every good work. This is, I'm treating you now, God says, as my children. Because I care about you, I'm going to discipline you for your ultimate benefit. So stay tuned for Hebrews chapter 12 on another occasion. God meets us in hardship and uses it for our good. So we're going to keep obeying his word. How else do we make progress in the purposes of God? By stepping into impossibilities. 
Before Peter gets out of the boat, I want you to notice a few things. It's still windy. It's still dark. It's still nighttime. The disciples must be tired, exhausted, at the end of themselves. A few moments ago, they are scared witless. This, don't, this doesn't sound like the ideal time to try something new. The disciples are not sitting by the dock of the bay, wasting time. Thinking, ah, I know. Jesus, you walked on water one time, didn't you? Well, we've not got anything else to do. Let's try it. Go on, Jesus, help us to walk on water. It's, it's still windy. It's still dark. Still tricky, and they're tired. They're in the thick of it, and they're, they're at the end of themselves. I want you to notice as well, Peter doesn't say, Jesus, Lord, if it's you, you're late. Get onto the boat. It's all hands on deck at the moment, Jesus. So come and lend a hand. Come and join us in our situation and put your back into it for a while. He doesn't say that. He says, Lord, if it's you, that's interesting, isn't it? Because he's not sure, but he kind of thinks he knows it is him, actually. Lord, if it's you, call me and I will come out to you. It's like, Peter, we don't have time for this. As though it's some sort of trivial moment. Can't Peter, be serious. But Peter's understood something. Because Peter is a disciple. And what do disciples do? They learn. And who do they learn from? They learn from their master. And what do they want to become like? They want to be like him. So Jesus says, come and follow me. He didn't say, come and I'll follow you. He said, Jesus said, come and follow me. And Peter's understood something. I, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to be like you. And at the moment, you're walking on water. So I'd like to follow you. I'd like to come and be with you on the water. If it's you, tell me to get out of the boat. So you notice then again, he doesn't just jump out of the boat. He said, tell me. If you tell me to, I'm going to. And then again, in obedience, he gets out. You think, what does that feel like, standing on the water? I wonder if it's like a really massive, half-inflated lilo. Every, every step is just this little bit uncertain, but I, I'm, I'm coming to Jesus. Now we know he sees the wind, he gets scared. But he was prepared to step into the impossible as he followed Jesus into actual impossibilities. It's impossible to heal the sick, but they've seen Jesus do it. It's impossible to cast out demons, but they've seen Jesus do it. It's impossible to multiply food, but that happened at Jesus' command. They'll go into Jerusalem and Jesus will curse a fig tree. Wow, Jesus, it's, it's dead. You only cursed it earlier on. How come it's died? And at that point, we kind of think, Jesus to say, well, yes, I'm Jesus. I'm God. That's the kind of thing I can do. So leave the impossibilities to me, and you just stick with the ordinary mundane stuff. Yeah, yeah glory is waiting for us. It all will be wonderful. Jesus doesn't say that. We want him actually to say that, I think. Well, he's Jesus, isn't he? He can do anything. It's easy for him. But actually, what Jesus does is say, actually, 
you can say to this mountain, go cast yourself into the sea and it will be done for you if you have faith. Jesus turns it around and says, you're my disciples, you're my followers. Greater things than these, greater mundane things, more numerous mundane things you can do. <laughs> saying, I heal the sick, so you can heal the sick in my name. I spoke to that fig tree and it withered. Do you believe in the name of Jesus you can speak to stuff and say, that's it, no more. You're not bearing fruit ever again. Not in my life, not in their lives, not in someone else's life. Kind of bold, faith-filled prayer off the back of Jesus' encouragements. In my name, for the glory of the Father, you can pray the same stuff. So Peter steps into impossibilities. Maybe there are other perceived impossibilities for us to step into. Because we can so easily say, I can't share my faith. Not like that person. No way. I couldn't possibly invite somebody to Alpha. I can't say no to that sin. I can't say no to that person's demanding expectations of me. I couldn't possibly get by on less money. I can't control myself. I can't cope in this season. Maybe we need to remember what Paul said in Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. What does he mean? I can get by on plenty. But I've also learned the secret of being content when I have nothing, when I lack. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can walk with God through this hard time through Christ who strengthens me. I can pray for the sick through Christ who strengthens me. Stepping into things that we might perceive to be impossible. Is Jesus a bit harsh when he says to Peter, you of little faith? Kind of stumbles, doesn't he? Looks at the, how do you look at the wind? But he looks at the wind. He sees the wind. And, oh, goodness, this is a bit serious, isn't it? What am I doing? <laughs> he starts to sink. Immediately, Jesus reaches out, grabs him. Must restore him in some way because they both managed to get back into the boat. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? We'd be high-fiving Peter, wouldn't we? Awesome! You just walked on water for three meters. And she's like, Jesus is like, no, you have little faith. I've just done three miles. <laughs> Jesus didn't walk a little bit on the water and then fly the rest. He walked for three and a half miles on the water. I mean, that's... It's a blessing, but it's not a massive shortcut, is it? He <laughs> travelled three and a half miles over the water. You have little faith. There's more. Come on. Called you to faith. Called you to walk in my footsteps. So don't just settle for three metres. Three yards. So it's not harsh. It's not unkind. He wants Peter's faith to grow. Fourthly, how do we make progress in the purposes of God? Worship before we arrive. They get back in the boat, and actually at that point, the wind does die down, so it's now kind of calmer conditions. But they haven't arrived yet. Who knows exactly how long there is to go, but there is a distance to cover still. They don't just reserve worship for the moment when they have arrived at their destination. The journey's over. 
We've got all the way through the challenge. We persevered all the way to the very end. And now we're here in some glorious situation where everything is about to turn right. And now it's the time to worship. Now they worship whilst they are still on the boat. They worship while they are still in the middle somewhere. They say, truly, you are the Son of God. So let's not reserve worship for those moments where we feel like we've arrived, we've come through it all. Wonderful, we're in that new season. The exams are behind us. The children have left home and gone on holiday or whatever. Um, we've got the new job or whatever, whatever the other side might represent to you. We don't just worship when we reach the destination. We don't just worship when we're in glory and all sickness is dealt with. We worship in the middle. And the amazing thing is, John tells us in his gospel that when Jesus gets back into the boat, and I think this is a supernatural component of this story again, when they get back into the boat, they arrive straight away. That has to be another miracle, doesn't it? One moment they are rowing hard, the next moment they're scared witless, the next moment Peter's out on the water sinking, the next moment they're back in the water and suddenly they've arrived. Now if we join those together, we see they worship. What will God do sovereignly as we worship him in spirit and in truth. So much of the Christian life is that mundane moment, one thing after another, just keeping pulling on those oars, staying true, obedient, doing the same thing over and over again for 10 years or more. And then sometimes, by the sovereign work of God, as we worship, there's this sudden acceleration. There's no logical explanation, but all of a sudden, God has brought us much further on than we would otherwise have anticipated. Is there anything impossible with God? We want to make progress in the purposes of God, don't we? Or do you think in those terms? Are you easily knocked off course by compromise, discouragement, temptation, are we tempted just to, to drift and go with the flow or choose that slightly different alternate harbor? Do we have faith to pray when it seems like we're taking a backward step and it doesn't seem reasonable, doesn't seem to fit into the schedule? By faith, are we looking to follow Jesus into impossibilities or are we just hoping that he jumps in and lends a hand with what we're up to? Are we prepared to worship before the whole situation is fully resolved? Do we trust Jesus for miraculous progress? Do we trust him with only what we've done before or when we are called into something new? that we've never done before? Do we trust him for actual impossibilities? Do we pray as though God is able to do anything? Or do we limit our prayers? If we trust Jesus and we want to make progress, the answer to all of those is yes, we do. 
So personally, let's seek to make progress in the purpose of God. For us as a church, let's consider what it means in this season, but also for the whole of life. God, I want to obey you for a long time, heading in the same direction. That's what you called me to, and I'm trusting you for the progress. I'm trusting you. Maybe there will be new seasons and different things at different times, but ultimately, you've, you've got my life, and I want to serve you with it for your glory.